You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. So we've seen attacks that involved cryptocurrency mining since basically the beginning of cryptocurrency mining. That's Ryan Olson. He's the vice president of threat intelligence for Palo Alto Networks Unit 42. The research we're discussing today is titled The Rise of the Cryptocurrency Miners. It was originally authored by Josh Grunswig. People would try to install a miner, a program that actually performed all the cryptocurrency mining calculations on somebody else's computer to make use of their CPU power. But they weren't very common until around late last year, sort of the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018, when we started to see this big rise. And it was really pretty well aligned with the rise of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency prices at that time. In November of last year, Bitcoin was shooting up close to $20,000 per coin and other cryptocurrencies were rising right along with it. And as those prices rose, we started seeing attackers who had previously been launching a lot of ransomware attacks, other things that they could use to sort of make money in a large, wide-scale attack, a shift to instead installing programs that would mine cryptocurrency. And then we started seeing more 
without adoption throughout 2018. And we're still seeing quite a bit of it today, even though the prices have come down quite a bit from where they were late last year. They're still a lot higher than they were two or three years ago. And it's still very profitable for them to mine cryptocurrency, not necessarily Bitcoin, other coins, especially a big one that's called Monero, mining that rather than launching other kinds of attacks. So let's, uh, again, you know, just sort of addressing the basics here. When, when we say that someone is crypto jacking and crypto mining, what are we talking about? So when it comes to the way most cryptocurrencies work, they rely on these things called blockchains. And the way the blockchains operate is it's a distributed ledger. And every time someone wants to transfer some part of the coin to another part of the coin, some calculations have to be performed as this proof of work to confirm that this was actually a legitimate transaction. And that's what we call mining. And the reason we call it mining is through the process of running all those calculations, there's a reward at the end. The first person who solves that little mathematical problem correctly first, they get some of the cryptocurrency as a reward. So they might get Bitcoin, they might get Monero, just depending on who they're actually mining for. And because of this, there's huge server farms around the world that are mining all these different kinds of cryptocurrency. And they're using both regular CPUs, like the kind in your computer, as well as specialized hardware to do this as fast as possible because they want to win the race. And what we've seen from an attacker's perspective is people trying to co-opt your CPU or your GPU in some cases to make use of that processing power to mine coins on their behalf so that they can get that reward rather than somebody else. And, and so can you describe to us what are the, the range of ways that they would get on my computer or uh, attack my enterprise's system to be able to do this sort of thing? So there's really two primary ways that we see what, what I would refer to as illicit crypto mining. Um, you could call it crypto jacking, but sometimes that gets confused with stealing cryptocurrency from other people, but mm. sort of the illicit process of mining coins. And one is through your browser, and the other one is by hijacking your computer with malware. So the browser-based ones are relatively straightforward. Someone inserts some JavaScript into a web page, and when you're visiting that web page, in the background, you don't see it visibly, there is cryptocurrency being mined. Your CPU is being used just by your browser to try and mine cryptocurrency. And this was originally started as a way for people to you know, make money off of views to their website that didn't require them selling ads. It sort of made sense. You, know, you loan a little bit of your CPU power while you're visiting someone's website. If they tell you about it, that's totally okay. They can say, we're not going to show you any ads, but you know, we're going to use a little bit of your CPU time while you're on our page. And if it's done up front like that, then it's okay. But we saw a lot of injections of JavaScript into pages uh, without people's knowledge that was really just stealing their CPU time, which means their power, as well as you know wear and tear on their computer to generate currency for other people. So JavaScript crypto mining, that's one sort of big category that we see. The other one is what I'd say is executable-based crypto mining, where the same way that someone would infect your computer with a piece of malware, be it ransomware or a banking trojan or something else, they use the same techniques, but the eventual payload, the thing that's actually going to do something on your computer, instead just mines cryptocurrency. And it mines it on behalf of the attacker so that they can make money. Those are our two big categories. Let's dig into some of the research that you did here. Uh, you identified a high number of unique samples of cryptocurrency miners. Can you take us through what you found? Yeah, so Palo Networks operates a, a very big platform, a security platform to defend all of our customers. And one component of that collects malicious executable files. Uh, when they're passing through our firewalls or they're running on hosts that have our agent installed on them, we can look at them and determine if they're malicious or if they're legitimate files. 
And late last year, we started seeing an uptick in the ones that were performing these cryptocurrency mining activities. So we started digging into them more closely and trying to understand sort of some stats related to them. Uh, How common are they? Which currencies are being mined the most? And really, how big of an impact is this? And what we found was they were very common. We were starting to see them displace a lot of the ransomware attacks that we'd been seeing since 2013 forward. And the currency we saw most commonly mined is called Monero. And that's for a few different reasons. Monero has a, a couple, there's tons of cryptocurrencies out there, hundreds of them. Uh, only a few of them have you know, enough popularity that they have a lot of value, but Monero is one of them. And the reason that it has value, people are interested in it, is it has a couple interesting properties. One is Monero is a closed blockchain, which makes it so uh, with Bitcoin as an open blockchain, you can see every single transaction. I can know that one wallet transferred you know, part of a coin to another wallet. I don't know who owns those wallets necessarily, But if I own one of them and I know who owns the other one, I can see all the transactions related to them. Monero is closed, so you can't actually go and see how those transactions operate. They've built it with privacy in mind. That was the goal. The second thing is that Monero was designed so that the calculations that you have to perform to mine the coins are very hard to build into specialized mining equipment like an ASIC or special hardware. So instead, Monero is very effective to be mined on the regular, you know, Intel CPU that's inside your laptop. And because of those two things together, you have a currency that's very privacy focused. So if someone does get coins that are that were mined illicitly, it's harder for someone to track down who actually owns them. And second, they can actually mine them on CPUs you can infect and 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 actually make good money, made it by far the most popular cryptocurrency that we're seeing mine today, much more than Bitcoin. Now, you did some interesting uh, detective work when it comes to digging up some of these Monero statistics. Despite it being privacy-based or or privacy-focused, I suppose, you were able to still uh, figure some things out. Yeah. So first, I'd like to say that the researcher behind all this, his name is Josh Grunswick. He's a member of Unit 42 at Palo Networks, and he did all of this digging, and it was fantastic work. And what Josh figured out was, and this is relatively straightforward, but even though the wallets are secretive, you can't see the transactions from wallet to wallet. The way that the mining system works is that people mine all these computers together into what's called pools, pools of miners who are all working together. And the reason for that is, If you were to just run a single computer and you're trying to mine the next block in the blockchain for Monero, the chance of you being successful is extremely low on a single computer because there's so many other computers that are competing and it's just one system that actually gets the reward. And those rewards only come out every few minutes. So you could spend a lot of time and a lot of power and not get anything. Hmm. So instead, people combine together into what we call mining pools. So if you get, let's say, 10,000 computers all together into a mining pool and you're all working together and you agree that based off of the amount of calculations that you performed, you're going to split the reward evenly across your pool, then you can get a much more consistent return. So what the people who are running these illicit cryptocurrency mining attacks were doing is actually working inside these pools, which means if you can find information from the pool, you can say, look at the malware and see which pool it's working with and look at the identification number that's actually coming in the miner. It has to tell the pool, hey, I'm this ID number so that it can actually get credit for its mining operations. We can actually find out from the pool how successful each of those miners was. Hmm. So we would go and look at all the executables that we saw coming in through our platform, look at the cryptocurrency mining pool they were using, look at the IDs that were being used by those individual miners, and then extract out how much had they actually mined, how much had they made. 
which is how we're able to determine the total number of XMR. That's the term that we use for Monero. The Monero coins were attributed to those miners and to get basic ideas about the value of those coins as well. And it's it's not a small number. What uh, take us through? What what are the total XMRs and and what does that add up to in terms of dollars? Yeah, so uh, I mean, the price of the cryptocurrencies vary over time. Back when we were first calculating all of this, uh, this was in May. We'd seen the total value of all the XMR was about 143 million U.S. dollars. This was about 800,000 or so XMR that had been mined at that point. And the value of the currency was around $180. The price is a little bit lower now, but it's actually about half what it was at that time because Monero has seen a drop off along with Bitcoin and some other coins. But no matter what, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. And if they actually exchanged their Monero at that time for U.S. dollars, then they made that money and they've got it in another kind of currency, which might not have lost as much value. Now, what is your sense for what kind of margins they might be running at? I mean, is this obviously it's profitable enough that they're doing it, but do you have any sense there? We don't know exactly what their costs are. Generally, when we think about cryptocurrency mining margins, we're thinking about you've got to buy hardware and then you've got to power that hardware and cool it and everything else. Right. So that for you know mining Bitcoin, that's there's a lot of expense in that. In this case, they are stealing other people's power and their hardware. So they're using somebody else's laptop, somebody else's server, whatever it is that they were able to infect. And because of that, their cost is really more of an opportunity cost of what could I have done with that compromised computer as an alternative to mining Monero. So if we think about it as a a ransomware attacker, previously they would have held that computer for ransom and said, uh, you know, you need to pay us $500 in Bitcoin or possibly another cryptocurrency. And if you don't, we won't give you your files back. They probably could have got $500 in a small fraction of the total number of infections. Uh, Not everyone pays. Some people have backups. Some people just can't get the currency to pay for whatever reason. So there's some fraction of that $500 per system. So they have to do that calculation of what would my return have been on a host if I could have used it for an alternative purpose like ransomware compared to running this miner for a certain amount of time. And that involves how do I keep my miner on the host as long as possible and keep it stealthy? Because if it only mines for five minutes, you're not going to make very much money. If it mines for a year, that could be a really big payoff for the attacker compared to what they might have made on the same host for ransomware. And the second thing to consider when it comes to that ROI calculation compared to the the trade-off is where is this computer located? And this is something that I think is most advantageous for the crypto miners right now. If you infect a computer with ransomware, and let's say it's, you know, in Bangladesh, you might infect a computer that the person who owns it might not have enough money to pay a ransom. They might not have any data on it that's really worthwhile that they are willing to pay for. But if you infect it with a crypto miner, it's the same computer. It still runs at the same clock rate as another that computer in another place in the world, no matter who owns it and what kind of data is on it, which means from an indiscriminate attack perspective, sort of just targeting as many systems as possible, you can be really effective with crypto mining and you just might not be as effective with ransomware. With ransomware, you've got to make sure you target the language correctly. You've got to make sure the person is capable of understanding the message of, hey, we're holding your files for ransom. You've got to make sure that they also then have money in and are able to pay it up. And all of that has a cost associated with it, either time or just sort of wasted infections, basically. So some attackers might be starting to choose, hey, if I know that the system that I'm going to infect is in a certain location or of a certain type, 
maybe I install a miner on that and I'll focus my ransomware efforts in places where people are more likely to pay up. It seems that the cryptocurrency mining is more of a, a nuisance problem rather than the catastrophic problem that ransomware can be. Absolutely. If I have the cryptocurrency running on my system, it, I might not even know, and it's not going to be the bad day that uh, the ransomware attack is going to be. It's not going to attract my attention. I'm not going to call law enforcement. Yeah, and, and that decreases the risk of running that attack. If you don't experience, and if the victim doesn't experience the impact, or it's not an impact that they can relay to law enforcement and tell them what their actual cost was, it's much less likely that law enforcement is going to be able to go and pursue them, arrest them, put them in jail. And that's one of the big risks of criminal activity. And if you think about the history of attacks, this isn't really new. Ransomware is really one of the first malware, which is really mal sort of attack classes, which is really in your face, like shuts your business down, causes you immediate impact. If it was a banking Trojan that was, you know, stealing your credit card number when you logged into a website or when you went to go purchase something, you know, you don't feel that impact right away. You feel that impact shortly after when someone buys something and maybe you have to get your money returned or maybe you're actually out the money, but it's a different kind of impact. If you go back even further to the days of where we saw ransom or excuse me, adware on a very frequent basis as much less common now, you know, that's the same kind of nuisance. It's annoying you. It is more in your face, but you're just basically seeing ads. You're getting pop-ups. Maybe your computer is sending out spam. Uh, it's sort of an impact that's behind the scenes. So I'd say what we're really seeing is sort of a return to the more stealthy attacks. And in this case, one that really has the least impact to the individual victim with a really high payoff still available for the attacker. Now, what are you all seeing in terms of the trend lines on this? Is it uh, business as usual for these folks? Are they, are they increasing or have people been able to effectively keep them out of their systems? You know, it's not that hard to keep these miners out of your system. So if you think about how it's being delivered, and I didn't really talk about that before, but the malware-based ones, the ones that are an executable running on your system, they're really being installed through the exact same means as ransomware and previous attacks, mostly through an email that you receive that email typically has an attachment. The attachment might be an executable or it could be a Word document, which then runs an executable. But it's the same delivery mechanism that we would see for all these other threats. So from a security perspective, the things that we were doing to prevent a ransomware infection or a banking Trojan infection, uh, very similar to what you would do to prevent a crypto mining infiltration into your network. But we are still seeing it happen. And we're seeing the attackers sort of get more creative as well. Something that we looked into earlier this year were attacks against cloud-based systems where an organization has access to cloud-based systems where they can spin up a virtual machine and run it for a period of time and they just pay per minute or per hour for their CPU time. Attackers who'd access their API keys to be able to spin up these machines and to do so just to run cryptocurrency miners on them, which can be really effective and it could lead to a really big bill for the person who whose API key was stolen. But for the attacker, they get some really powerful virtual machines that can run for a little while and generate some possible currency for them. And in those cases, that's a much more specialized attack. That's not just the general sort of indiscriminate attacks that we normally see installing ransomware. And now these other crypto miners, that's much more targeted at a specific organization where you know they've got that capacity available through whoever their public cloud provider is. Do you suppose we might see some policy moves to try to address this? I mean, the, you know, this, this money is going to Monero. Do you think we might see governments around the world say, hey, this, um, we appreciate this level of privacy here, but knock it off? You know, 
policies around cryptocurrencies in general have been in flux since the original implementation and the introduction of Bitcoin. Different governments have tried to close them off. Some have done that successfully, uh, or at least somewhat successfully, but it's really hard to put these genies back in any kind of bottle. Because the systems are distributed, it's much harder to sort of cut them off. There isn't a central authority that you can go to and just say, hey, you need to really quit doing this. They have to take other actions to stop the people who are using it in their country from doing certain things, making potentially transactions or something else illegal. So I wouldn't expect to see a single currency like Monero targeted right away, but I could certainly see some attempts at policy changes that might make it harder for much more likely for legitimate users who are trying to use these currencies uh, than for the criminals who are generally not going to pay attention to the law anyway. Just because it's illegal, they, they wouldn't be doing this anyway uh, if they were concerned about the fact that it was illegal in the first place. No, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. Good insight. So two more things um, I'll just say on preventing your organization from being impacted by mm. illicit cryptocurrency mining. So generally the way that people find out about the fact that they have a miner on their computer is that their CPU is running really high. Uh, you know, their fans are on a lot more commonly or their computer just feels sluggish. And I would say to anyone who is, you know, experiencing that, it might feel normal, but it might be worth checking to see. Do you have a tab open that's on a web page, which is using a lot of CPU time? Maybe just close your browser and see if that goes away and run an antivirus scan to see if your system is infected. Those are things that you might want to do just because you're experiencing that high CPU time. And the other thing that especially enterprises can do is if you don't want people mining currency inside your network, you should block the pools. So the way that the pooling system works for these miners is you have to access certain resources, certain domains, certain URLs for those pools. Blocking access to those is a great way to sort of cut off access to those hosts inside your network, which would prevent the miners from operating. You might still get an infection, but they won't use the same CPU time because they won't actually be able to report the fact that they are doing these calculations. One thing I've heard is that the miners have been evolving their code over time, for example, to perhaps not use 100% of your CPU activity, to try to not have those fans spin up all the time, try to stay below the radar a little bit. Yeah, we've seen that in a couple cases. So we've seen some miners that are configured to use a much smaller portion of your CPU, maybe 40%, uh, which won't push you up to that level of, hey, let's overheat and kick on our fans. And we've also seen miners that will look for a system that's not in heavy use right now. So it'll wait until maybe your screensaver kicks on or maybe the mouse hasn't moved for a little while. And when that's happening, that's when they mine. And when it comes back to an active state where they know a person's using the computer, shut the miner off so that they're not found. Because an infection of a cryptocurrency miner that lasts for a year is much more valuable than one that gets found out in five minutes and gets shut off because you are a little too greedy. Our thanks to Ryan Olson from Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 for once again joining us. The research is titled The Rise of the Cryptocurrency Miners. We'll have a link for the show notes. You can also find it on the Unit 42 blog. And now, a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. 
Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.